Welcome to Dear Runner Bod, the pod dedicated to helping you embrace your runner's body. I'm Serena Moriardi, a registered dietitian and body image coach who wants you to stop dieting and start fueling the athlete within. While I am a medical professional, the information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant to diagnose, treat, or cure. Now, let's start rewriting your body's story. Today, we are reading another review of the week, and today's winner is Kay Watsa one Kay Watsa one said, running and nutrition. You really can't have one without the other. I followed Serena on Instagram for a while. As someone with a disordered eating history who continues to heal my relationship with food and movement, she is a breath of fresh air. The podcast is a great listen as well. Thank you so much, Kay Watso. This is like the sweetest thing ever. I appreciate you. And I'm super excited to share with you a free masterclass as a thank you for leaving a review. If you are listening and you want to win a free masterclass, all you have to do is head to Apple Podcasts and leave a review there. If you hear your review read on the pod, then you can DM me or email me and claim your prize. So Kay Watso, super excited to give you a masterclass. Hit me up. Today, we're diving into a topic that is super, super requested, and that is all things perimenopause. We have an expert in perimenopause on the pod today, Kate Williams-Stone. She is a non-diet health and life coach who helps women in perimenopause build confidence around food and help women feel good in their body so that they can feel amazing without the diet culture BS. Using the principles of intuitive eating coupled with Hormone Honoring Health Habits is a powerful way to support women through the challenges of perimenopause. Kate's signature framework includes mindful eating, cyclical living, normalizing body changes with a feminist non-diet mindset coach. And she originally trained at the Health Coach Institute, completing additional intuitive eating trainings with Evelyn Tribley, who is the co-creator of intuitive eating, and Stephanie Dodier, who um, invented going beyond the food method. She is also a graduate of Carnegie Mellon University from the prestigious drama program. I'm going to have a link so you can check out her Instagram and you can check out her website. But today's conversation is going to leave you with lots of your questions answered, really kind of getting a better understanding of what is perimenopause, what's going on in your body, and what you can do to manage it in this stage of life. Hello, we have another episode of Dear Runner Bod today, and I am interviewing Kate Stone, who is an expert in perimenopause. Hello, Kate. Hello. I'm so excited to have you here because perimenopause, postmenopause, the ladies are always reaching out, always wanting to talk about it, always asking me questions about it. And I figured it was about time we have an expert come on the show and really dive into some of the questions I get. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait. What got you kind of started in specializing in perimenopause? Is this something you've always been interested in? No, not until I had my own personal experience with it, right? Um, You know, I have a long history of healing my own relationship with food and body that started in my 20s. I'm in my mid 40s now. And so a non diet approach and intuitive eating was always part of like my personal beliefs and my personal practice. But then honestly, like, 
in my 40s, really like when I was 40, I started getting certain symptoms that now in hindsight, I realized were the start of perimenopause, but I had no idea. Um, And then it was all kind of like exacerbated by uterine fibroids and extreme iron deficiency, which have symptoms of perimenopause. But I would say my personal experience was like more extreme and heightened than maybe the typical perimenopause experience. But going through uterine fibroids and iron deficiency and navigating the medical system and experiencing weight stigma, even though I live within privilege and symptoms being dismissed, got me really passionate and fired up about supporting and helping women in perimenopause because we're under ed- ed- undereducated, under-supported, under-resourced in this area. And so that's when I became really passionate about helping women in perimenopause. I mean, I love that you have that lived experience. I think it's always so helpful. I know I, I have not gone through perimenopause yet, but I know when I'm working with athletes who struggle with under eating and restriction, my own lived experience makes it so much easier for me to relate to what the athlete's going through. And also to kind of understand, sometimes you're like, like kind of like, you know, unable to really like articulate what it is you're struggling with. And I think it's so much easier when you're, when your counselor has that lived experience. Um, so Kate, can you tell me, like, I know this is maybe a silly question, but what is perimenopause? Like what essentially is going on in your body? And like, what are some of those early signs and symptoms that women maybe need to look out for? Yeah. So first let's define what menopause actually is, because I think that word is not used correctly, like in our everyday language, like you'll hear women say like, I'm going through menopause. And what they actually mean is they're going through perimenopause. So menopause is defined as one year of no period. It's actually one day because it's the one year anniversary of you not having a period. And then the day after that, you're technically postmenopausal. Perimenopause is the four to 10 year period leading up to that menopause anniversary. And yes, it can last up to 10 years. So I really... like to tell women, if you are over 40, it's time to start learning about perimenopause. And there's no blood test or diagnostic test because this isn't a disease state. It's technically like a second puberty that your body's going through. It's a normal hormonal transition where slowly estrogen and progesterone are starting to decline. And then eventually your ability to reproduce is over. But that transition period I think this is my misconception and I hear it a lot from women. We think it's going to be like this very linear, just like slow decline. And then all of a sudden one day you'll have no period and it'll be done. And instead it's like this hormonal roller coaster that's up and down, up and down, changing every single month. And I think the thing that surprises women the most in their early forties or early perimenopause is some of the first symptoms can be heavier periods shorter cycles. So like your 28 day cycle is now like 23 to 25 days. That's surprising to women. Um, Mood changes, increased PMS symptoms like breast tenderness or soreness. Um, And, you know, those are some of the first things to look for. And I think the 
misconception is that perimenopause is all just like hot flashes and night sweats. And those changes happen a little bit later, typically. Every woman is different. Every body is different. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I kind of love this idea of it being almost like a second puberty um, because a lot of those symptoms of like kind of like the heavier periods, the shorter cycle, just kind of feeling like you don't know what's coming each month. That does feel like kind of early days of getting your first period. Um, So that's really interesting to kind of hear it described that way. Um, I know you had mentioned before that you had had – anemia. And that's something that's really common in the community I work with because runners oftentimes struggle with anemia. So in those perimenopause symptoms, which of those symptoms kind of overlap with with anemia? So it's really common to have heavier periods or flow or even like the gushing, like a flooding or gushing in perimenopause, your period can change. And so then with the increased blood loss, anyone who menstruates is at a higher risk for being iron deficient or anemic, but perimenopausal women, it is extremely common. And I know in the runner community, it's also really common. So I would say if you are a female runner, over 40, like iron deficiency and anemia are something that you should really look out for. Um, And I think, at least in my experience and talking to lots of women, iron deficiency is underdiagnosed and under supported. So knowing what your ferritin level is, which is your iron storage level is so critical. And Technically, under 30 is like a normal ferritin level, but I would say we don't necessarily want to be normal. Like what is the best or most women feel the best is like stabilizing around 100, you know, if you can. Mm -hmm. For the ferritin level. Yeah, for ferritin level. Mm, Okay. And so usually when you're thinking about anemia, a symptom like that that kind of experience would be like extreme fatigue, um, feeling like their their legs are really heavy. And so that just maybe people will write off to being menopause or perimenopause and just kind of as- assuming that if you are a runner over 40, that's something just like to look into and to think about and consider, right? Especially if you do know you're kind of getting those, those heavier periods. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Um, advocating for yourself and getting that ferritin number, which can be pulled in a normal blood draw, because typically we look at hemoglobin and you can be iron deficient, but still have a normal hemoglobin level. So it's possible to be iron deficient, but still have, but not have anemia, or you can have both. So ferritin is not always in your typical, like, CBC. So I would just request it from your doctor. And just to share some of my experience, when I went to a hematologist and Um, eventually got an iron infusion, um, the hematologist actually told me that about 80% of her patients are women in perimenopause with heavy periods, getting iron infusions because their ferritin is so low. And then once they go through menopause, she never sees them again. Wow, that is so interesting. 80%. That is a huge 80%. Wow. wow. Huge. Okay. Yeah. Huge. Super, like, super interesting. Yeah. She looked at my profile and my blood work and she's like, oh yeah, 
I know exactly how you feel. She described all the symptoms. I'm like, yes, yes. Tiredness, breathlessness, heavy legs, you know, all of it. I'm like, yeah. And she's like, great. We'll get you an infusion. You'll feel better. Like, like, thank you. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness. What a, like, what a good thing to kind of be aware of, especially if you kind of have the periods plus and the heavier periods from perimenopause. And then also your runner, we have that hemolysis when we're just like hitting the, the pavement, our blood cells are kind of exploding, so to speak. So um, super important for us to just make sure we're advocating for ourselves. Okay. So we understand what perimenopause is. It can be going on for 10 years, 10 plus years. So we know it's not just something that we have to wait for. Um, is there like a typical like age of onset? Would you say it's usually like around 40 or is it, does it vary from person to person? Yeah, it's a great question. The average age for menopause is 51 and then perimenopause can be four to 10 years. So that's why I think starting in your 40s or late 30s, it's just good to educate yourself. But I'd say by mid 40s, like 45, 46, you can start to experience some symptoms. And again, like we have a range of experiences, right? Some women sail through perimenopause, menopause. They're like, oh yeah, it wasn't that big a deal. Like my period just disappeared. Things changed a little bit, but it wasn't like uncomfortable. And then there are other women who have uh, more extreme symptoms and need greater support. And, you know, it's just a different experience for everybody. Absolutely. And that's where you come in is for the ladies who just need that extra support. So, so tell us, Kate, you know, I think it's really interesting as we're kind of navigating this non-diet world and anyone who has listened to the podcast for a while knows that just because we're non-diet doesn't mean we're anti-health. We still, you know, want to use food as interventions. We still think food can be therapeutic and treating certain conditions and, and just helping to improve life quality. Um, so tell me, Kate, like from this non-diet approach, how much impact does food have on hormones? Like how much impact does your diet have in helping to ameliorate some of these symptoms of perimenopause? Yeah. So it's interesting because I think you definitely can support your hormones. I like to bust the myth that's out there, especially on Instagram of like chasing hormone balance, especially in perimenopause, because as a menstruating person, your cycle is changing, like your hormones change every day, like, because you have a 28 day cycle, right? Then in perimenopause, they change even more. So the idea that the goal should be balancing your hormones feels like almost like another diet that we're chasing to me. And so instead, I talk about hormone supporting habits. How can you support your hormones through health habits rather than trying to like be on balance? And so balancing your blood sugar, right? Making sure by making sure you have a plate that has protein, fat and fiber on it. Uh, making sure you're not under eating and restricting is a big one and hard for women, you know, to, to realize like, oh, I'm under fueling, I'm under feeding myself. And then on the flip side, over exercising or over exerting energetically, those things have a big impact on our hormones. Okay. So first of all, I just want to say before we move on to the under eating over exercising part, because you know, we're going to have a huge conversation about that right now. But I just want to say, I love that you said, why are we aiming to balance our hormones? Like literally, like that's the opposite. Even when you are getting your cycle, right? Hormones aren't 
balanced, like estrogen and progesterone, they're supposed to be up and down. And, and so I just really love that you kind of um, pointed that language out. So thank you. Cause I think I probably have said things like balance your hormones, but you're right. Like they're, they're supposed to go up and down and it's supporting our hormones is really what we're doing. And I just like mm-hmm. when we kind of can look at how language sometimes like inadvertently, we're kind of still being diet culture right? Like that's like a, one of those sneaky phrases that I'll just say and not think twice about. But I just wanted to say for pointing that out. Like that's a really important thing of diet talk and non-diet talk. Yeah, absolutely. You can, you can borrow that. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So we, so the question was literally, how do we support your hormones? And like, you literally jumped to don't under eat and don't over exercise, which is like, you know, what everyone is doing, it is like the, the main attraction of how to be healthy is usually people just jump to reducing calories and doing cardio, especially I have, I work with runners primarily. So lots of running. So can you tell me, Kate, like if you are a woman who is in perimenopause, you may notice your body is changing. And I know that can cause a lot of like alarm bells to go off. Like, oh my goodness, my body is changing. I don't like this let me go on a diet. Let me start counting calories or I see really commonly, let me start restricting carbs. So I guess, can you tell me a little bit about what, like what is happening if a woman has that reaction and she starts to restrict carbs, she starts to restrict calories. Like how, how is that detrimental to your hormone health? Mm. Well, first of all, I just want to say like the instinct to want to restrict calories and carbs or diet to shrink and change your body is so, so normal. Like we just need to normalize that instinct. And especially for women in their forties of the long list of perimenopausal symptoms, the two that I find are most difficult for women are the weight gain and uh, body changes, right? So you may not gain weight, but you may just see like a redistribution in like where your body is in breasts, butt, hips, like all of that because hormones are changing. And so the body image issues are really heightened or can be during perimenopause. And so then if you live through 90s diet culture, because if you're in your 40s right now, you lived with like Kate Boss and Slim Fast and Snackwell's cookies, it makes total sense that then in perimenopause, you're like, oh my God, I need to get control of this. Like, I cannot let this happen to me, right? So I just want to normalize that like inside voice that's so common for women. And then the, the thing is like, oh, diet, right? Count my calories, count my macros, no carbs, because we're in a no carb craze right now. Um, And so what happens is, you know, we know carbohydrates are an essential energy source for our bodies, especially as runners. But also for perimenopausal women, carbohydrates support good mood, right? Like they allow us to produce serotonin. And mood changes are a big challenge for perimenopausal women. And so when we underfuel, undereat, overexercise causes a stress response in our body, right? We're underfueled, so it's affecting our mood. Our cortisol increases, which are stress hormones. And I like to think of our hormones like all in one big pot together. Like I think sometimes we think of isolating, like we have our sex hormones here and like our hunger hormones here, and they're like totally in separate tracks. And it's like, that's not how our body works. 
Like it's actually all interconnected. So if you have your sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone going on their perimenopausal roller coaster, totally normal, and then you're elevating the roller coaster of insulin and cortisol and all of that, it just makes this roller coaster way more extreme. That's like the most basic way I can put it um, as far as the hormone health. And so thinking about what is in your control and what's out of your control and what's in my control is like to fuel really well, to honor my body's like energetic capacity day to day, cycle to cycle, it's going to change and um, support with sleep, stress management, all of that is going to help support this natural hormone roller coaster. Yeah, I think that's really, I think that's part of diet culture is this idea that, you know, we can put things into boxes and we can say, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm only going to give my body permission to eat X amount of calories a day. And, you know, I'm going to control this with my very smart brain. And we're not realizing like the whole system works together, right? The whole, like you said, it's interconnected. And so, you know, we kind of think, oh, let me control my body. My body is doing something bad, quote unquote, not true, but that's what we've been conditioned to believe. And we think the solution is to just, you know, exercise harder, low carb lower or diet harder. And in actuality, like you said, that's just causing more stress to the the system. Um, I know something really common that I hear is, you know, for runners, obviously carbohydrates are the body's energy source. Carbohydrates, our needs are higher as female athletes. And at the same time, this low carb, I don't want to say it's a a myth, but I guess talking a little bit, Kate, about how um, the metabolism changes and um, how like blood sugar control changes and how your tolerance to carbohydrate changes as you kind of age and as you kind of approach perimenopause. Like, how do how do we kind of put women's mind at ease that they can still eat carbohydrate like nothing bad is going to happen like how do we kind of see carbohydrate as as the friend here mm. i mean for that i zoom out like really big picture and think about like the 1990s right when everything was like no fat low fat everything and that equaled health Right. And the women I work with in their 40s are still kind of like undoing some of that demonization of fat because it was what we were brought up with. Well, then how do we go from the 1990s to now where all of a sudden fat is good, but carbs are bad? In 30 years, our bodies didn't change. Right. But like the nutrition information out there, like totally changed, like the pendulum swung the other way. And now we're demonizing carbohydrates as like bad, wrong foods. And like, I have to wonder, like 30 years from now, what's the next food we're going to demonize? It's just a trend, right? That makes women scared of food, really confused. And, you know, when you think of diet culture as a system of oppression, just like, you know, white supremacy and patriarchy, like the bigger, bigger picture of what it's doing, it's like, oh, wow. So if all women are confused by diet culture about how to fuel their body, or they take all day long calculating their macros and their calories and tracking everything, or just the mental energy and fixation of like thinking about this all day long, 
what do we not pay attention to? Right. Right. And so like, instead of getting in the nitty gritty of like the body systems or like the kind of nutrition, like I really zoom out with people of like, what's the greater purpose that this is serving and what are we getting distracted from? And, uh, it kind of also makes me realize like this demonization of food is just a story that's made up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like all that brain space that you're not putting into like the big, beautiful life you're living. Right. And instead you're just like, you know, nose in a calendar, in a calculator, calculating calories or carbs or whatever. It, it's literally a way to keep women not like, yeah, like you think it's to keep your body small, but it's literally keeping your life small. And yeah, yeah it can just feel, it can just feel like it's literally a trap, like you had said. Yeah. So then to answer the question, like more about like what's happening in the body, because I think this also normalizes some of the changes is that as estrogen production decreases, fat holds on to estrogen. So part of the body changes you're seeing, like changes in breasts and hips and butt, those are all places where like the body naturally stores fat. The body's literally self-protecting. It's saying like, oh, your estrogen production is declining, natural part of midlife. But to retain more estrogen, we're going to like hold on to more fat so that you can have more estrogen in your body. Hmm. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Right? So it's like, oh, this is just a normal part. It's like when your body changed when you were 10, 11, and 12, right? Like that was a normal hormone transition. Your body totally transformed. The same thing is happening. And so understanding that like all body processes slow down as we age, right? That's a normal part of aging. So your digestive system is also slowing down. So you're not quite as efficient in processing, you know, your energy sources, but that doesn't mean you should eliminate your body's energy source of carbohydrate. It just means you may need like, you know, greater support or like more attention to certain things, but not in an obsessive way. Yeah. Okay. I I love that you said that. So I I think what we want to do here is like acknowledge what your your unique body needs, right? And whoever you are listening to this, right? I don't know who you are, but like your body is unique. You can't just kind of find some random like person on Instagram who says, you know, all perimenopausal women need X, Y, Z, because that's not true. And, you know, I especially get upset about this because like I said, I work with athletes. And so uh, a woman who's going through perimenopause, who is training for an ultra marathon, you know, she hears this thing like, oh, you, you, your, your metabolism slows down. Um, you're less able to burn carbohydrates, quote unquote, I'm just going to go low carb. And yet your body, you know, you, you don't fit in a box, right? Like you are burning through hundreds of calories. You need hundreds of grams of carbohydrate to support your activity level. You are staying particularly insulin sensitive because of how active you are. And like what Kate had said initially is how do we support your hormones by balancing your blood sugar and eating enough and making sure we're supporting whatever amount of exercise you're doing, right? Because if we're under eating, 
whatever amount of exercise you're doing is going to be over exercising because you're you're over um like you're you're burning too many calories for the system. And so I I love to kind of think about it as like each woman is unique and there is no one size fits all way to deal with perimenopause. Yeah, absolutely. Like every phase of life, but I see this perimenopause phase as kind of like a shakeup internally for women. Like it's, you know, I think the challenge is that we're confronted with ageism and the thin ideal at this point in life, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm no longer like the hot, thin chick I was in my 20s, right? I have a new identity that I'm like, coming into and then also looking like kind of reflecting on the first half of my life and then looking at the next half of my life and like, do I want to continue operating from the same set of beliefs? And this is where I feel like a non-diet intuitive eating approach is so profound for women because they realize the impact that diet culture has had on their lives and uh, for me, like, I don't want to be 90 years old and worried about my food intake for the day. I want to be able to trust my body and like be in touch with my own intuition physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so I see perimenopause as this opportunity to like shake things up or like let go of things that are no longer serving and step into this new identity if you're open to it. Yeah, no, I can like feel that like energy like in my body right now, right? Like that like rising to the occasion and like really stepping into your power um, rather than just kind of going along with like what we've been conditioned and brainwashed into thinking is what you do when your body changes. So this mm-hmm. going back to what you so this is really cool now, right? Coming full circle. So we had said it's a second puberty. And I think that analogy is now even more beautiful, kind of understanding what you were saying, how your body is protecting estrogen and fat holds on to estrogen. And so we may notice that we're kind of holding on to fat in different in different places. Unlike, so obviously when you're a child, you're not a lot of children don't even like going through puberty, but I think it's a little bit more socially accepted, like, okay, her body changed, she's she's becoming a woman. And yet society, from what I can tell, is not kind to perimenopause, right? Like we are supposed to pretend it's not happening and continue to look like an 18-year-old forever <laughs> somehow, right? And so understanding how to shift from this place where you have grown up believing you have to look a certain way and control your food and control your exercise and do everything you can to look a certain way to finding this place where you're strong enough to step into your power. And I know we're not going to solve this in like a three minute interview here, but like, what are some, like, what is some of the, the, the work, the exercises, the thought processes that a woman needs to go to, to go from challenging this place it, that she's been told she needs to look a certain way to stepping into her power? Mm, such a good question. This is like the essence of mm-hmm. how I work with women is this cogn- cognitive behavioral coaching model. And so first looking at like, what are the thoughts and beliefs I hold right now and identifying them clearly and kind of like putting them out to look at. And then the next step looking at, okay, and where did I learn this from? Because most of the thoughts and beliefs that we feel are true 
about ourselves actually were taught to us by society, by parents, by teachers, and we've kind of taken them as our own and internalized them. So like the thought of like, you know, thinner is better. Like I had to take that thought and be like, okay, thinner is better. Like I have believed that most of my life. Now I've been exposed to this non-diet approach, health at every size, like BMI and why it's total BS. Like I've learned all of this. So do I still believe thinner is always better or thinner is better? And then I get to rewrite those beliefs. And that I think is really the step of like stepping into your power. Like I get to realize like I believed that wasn't even mine, but I took it on. And now I get to like say like all bodies are good bodies, right? Like all bodies are inherently worthy. Like I believe that for myself and for everybody now, but I really had to take perimenopause as an opportunity to unpack my internalized fat phobia like on a really deep level. Mm-hmm. Because your body is changing. And so it's almost like it's almost like forcing you to do the the work that you were doing already, but now realize like coming really to, to terms with it as your body is rapidly changing. I think it's important and and I know you had mentioned this before, like we both live with that that thin um we're we're white, those privileges, right? So I do want to acknowledge like the way this looks for different people. Some people it'll be an easier process, some people it'll be a harder process. Um, what about those who are dealing with that outsider pressure from their doctor, from other people kind of criticizing their appearance because we do live in an extremely fat phobic world, right? Like not everyone mm-hmm understands how toxic and dangerous it is to try and make every single woman's body fit into this one ideal. Like doesn't actually logically make sense, but somehow that's like the system we operate from. So like, what do we say to the women who are like, easy for you to say, Serena, like you and your thin white body, like, of course, like how do we kind of um, hold space for those women? Yeah. I mean, as a practitioner, that's where, you know, I meet clients like with my lived experience and there are other practitioners out there. Maybe I'm not the best fit for you, right? Finding a practitioner who has a lived experience of being in a fat body could be really helpful. And so I always acknowledge that before I enter a relationship with a client. Um, The other piece you mentioned is just the weight stigma and fat phobia in our medical system. And that's especially challenging going to doctors and hearing that, you know, hearing the solution is you should lose weight, but we have no clinically proven way to lose weight long term from a medical community. Um, One of the best things I did personally was I broke up with my doctor and found a health at every size or haze primary care doctor. So now when I go to my primary doctor, there are no scales. Um, There are body positive signs in every exam room. I love that. Um, There's no conversation about weight or weight change. It's about how do we have healthy behaviors or health promoting behaviors as solutions rather than weight loss as the solution. And if you can find a weight neutral or health at every size medical provider, like I highly, highly recommend it because I didn't even realize the anxiety that I had 
that that might be a conversation until it was like completely removed. And my personal story is that my primary care doctor, when I went and complained of the symptoms of my uterine fibroids and iron deficiency, she dismissed them quickly and then brought attention to the fact that I had gained 10 pounds during COVID lockdown and, and did not take my blood which if she had that day, she would have learned that I was severely iron deficient. And that's why I was so tired. She did refer me to a gynecologist to get my um, blood work done. But guess what? I was bleeding so heavily. I didn't go to the gynecologist for four months because I couldn't leave the house. Wow. That is so... so that's where weight stigma shows up as like the hyper focus on 10 pounds versus like extreme fatigue decline in cognitive function, itchy skin, heavy legs, like all the typical iron deficiency signs she didn't see. Now, I don't fault her personally. It's a system that she's working in. I've had to do a lot of work around that, but find a weight neutral healthcare provider if you can. And then if you live in a bigger body, like find your practitioners. I think it's so helpful. Yeah, I love that. It's like it's setting boundaries, right? It's like if this dietitian doesn't make me comfortable because she doesn't have my lived experience, find a dietitian, male or female, whatever, who who makes you feel comfortable, right? If you can find a a doctor who is going to operate from a weight neutral approach or a health at every size approach, excellent. I think they're really they can be hard to find. Um, so you know, maybe it's setting a boundary of asking to not be weighed. And I know when I work with um, clients, like I'm happy to call up the office and and let them know, like, please don't weigh my, my patient. So maybe asking your therapist, your dietitian, whoever is in, on your side to help you show up to get medical care um, in a way that feels like safe for you. But understanding that setting boundaries and really protecting your peace as you're kind of working to heal through some of this like oppressive um, thought processes we have around our body and the way our body's changing, um, that's okay. Like permission to do that. So I, I love that advice, Kate. Yeah. Yeah. And think about like when you show up to a medical doctor, like what's the energy you're bringing into the room, right? Even just energetically, like, are you in your power and your confidence ready to set boundaries or are you coming in like, oh, please fix me. Like I'm looking for answers. Like I don't know anything about my body. That's a very different energy. And so you're going to get different responses based on that too. So just like part of what I'll help my clients with is like, what's the energy you're going to use to like show up to this doctor's appointment? What beliefs can you practice going into this doctor's appointment, knowing that you are the expert of your body, not a practitioner. They're there to help you and you hire the doctor so you can fire the doctor too. Dude, I love that. That is like a total like 180, like... You're not going there afraid of the doctor, worried what they were going to say. You're going in there and you're like, this is my body. I know what she needs. I know why I'm here and getting the answers you deserve. And if, if a doctor ever says like, go lose 10 pounds, like they said to Kate, right? Like that is lazy medical practice. And again, yes, they are operating from a system. Doctors are wonderful people. They are not trying to hurt people a lot of times. 
However, that is lazy medicine and it, and it does hurt people. So um, yeah, set boundaries, um, demand care, ask what would you do if I didn't have quote unquote 10 pounds to lose? How would you treat a thin, a thinner person right in this situation? Because that's the care. That's not the lazy medicine. That's the care you deserve. Um, so yeah, I love that, Kate. You're like getting me all fired up. That's Those are great questions to ask. Great. Bring your power to your doctor's visit. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You deserve it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So surprise, surprise. With perimenopause, there is no need to restrict calories. There's no need to go low carb. And really, it's just about kind of like um, learning how to balance blood sugar, learn how to support your body. Is there anything else you feel like a female runner who potentially is going through perimenopause needs to know before we kind of wrap things up here? I would start tracking your cycles. If you're not already, that's a piece of information that can really help you. And because you want to know what your normal quote unquote cycle is. So then you can see how it's changing over time. So I recommend the Stardust app. It's free to my clients, really easy encrypted information. It's female owned and operated or a paper calendar works too, but knowing your cycles. So then that's another piece of information. You could walk into a medical provider to say like, my cycles used to be 28 days. Now they're 37, 15, 29. Like, here's what my calendar looks like. And that information can be really helpful. And then understanding like your energy over a 28 day cycle, and then how that shifts in perimenopause when those cycles are changing. You never know what's going to happen month to month. If someone's listening to this and she's like, dang, I feel like I'm already like in the willy nilly of perimenopause, like I'm already having the irregular cycles. Um, do you feel like at that point that information is still helpful to be tracking? Like how can she use it, that information? Yeah, it still is really helpful because you you know, it can inform each month like how mood and energy, you know is happening in the body as things get farther and farther apart. It's good to know that. So yes, I would say track your cycle and and know what's going on. Absolutely. Okay. I love that. I'm actually, I just thought of another question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I like can't stop talking to you. Um, I've been seeing a lot of stuff on the internet about um, like cycle syncing. And I'm just wondering if you have any I know what I think, but you're more of a hormone expert than I am. So like, I'm just wondering, what's your take here um, in terms of cycle syncing with exercise? Yeah, you know, I think it it has helped me personally. And I do infuse some of that work with my clients because quite honestly, like when I was like 11 years old and I was taught about menstruation, like I thought there were two phases of my cycle, bleeding and not bleeding. And now I know there's four phases of the cycle and they each have very different like energy. And so I would say from a non-diet approach, right? I don't use cycle syncing as like this hard and fast rule, but what it has given me is like an ability to let go of the guilt and shame when I need to rest, to not judge that anymore, to be like, I'm bleeding right now, so I'm just going to chill out for a day or two, and that's okay. And guess what? Nothing's wrong with me. And in a week, I'm going to feel amazing again, and I'm going to go out and crush that workout. Like, So to me, it has just 
made some of those um, energy mood changes, like just feel a little bit more normal. Yeah, I love that. I think it it brings flexibility, right, to this world where we've been conditioned, like, go hard or go home, like, team no days off. And I, I don't think there's a lot of strong data to say, like, you know, you're, you know, you're ovulating, do this. Like, I know that's what they're kind of saying on Instagram. But I, I don't know if there's the data there. But I think really what non-diet approach always is preaching is like permission to listen to your body. And so if you're having cramps, if you're bleeding and you want to chill or not do your workout or just go for a walk or whatever it is, like permission to listen to your body and understanding you are this dynamic being who does have, you know, the hormonal roller coaster, which is normal, which is natural, right? Like Kate was saying before. And so listening to your body and being open to that. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing to kind of give ourselves that permission. Mm-hmm. And then by beyond exercise, the place where I find it really fascinating is how the brain changes within the cycle. So like the different um, tasks I'll do during different phases of the cycle. So like, you know, the follicular phase being more like new beginnings. So like brainstorming, new ideas, new collaborations, ovulation being like, I want to be out there. I want to be social. Like it's the time to do the big presentation or like the networking event at work. And then the luteal phase being more of like an autumn energy where we're like wrapping up details. I can get through my to-do list like so quickly and just like be very task oriented. And then the cycle starts again. And so like knowing that the brain is better equipped to do certain functionality, like at different times of the month, I just think is really like super cool and like a superpower for women versus being in a patriarchal calendar, which is like reset every 24 hours, right? Which is kind of the go hard or go home. Like I have to do the same workout every single day. So it's a different point of view. Yeah, absolutely. It like gives you permission to have different seasons within the month and that's normal and healthy and natural. And it doesn't say anything to like your character. If some days you're feeling more creative and some days you're feeling more lower energy and that's just normal. That's just natural. Yeah. I love it. Okay, Kate. So, so helpful. So before you share with us how we can reach you, how we can follow you, all the things, I always ask every athlete or every woman on our podcast, why do you love your body? So Kate, why do you love your bod? Mm, This is interesting because in my own body image work, I've actually come to the place where I don't work on loving my body. I'm in a body neutral relationship. So in the past, when I had disordered eating, it was like a body violent relationship. Now I'm really like trying to live into this body neutrality and help others get there because I've redefined the purpose of my body. Like it's no longer about like my body as a reflection of my worth or my body's job is to look a certain way or perform a certain way. Like my body is the vessel that allows me to experience life. That's all it is. It's a neutral experience that allows me to live this life. And um, that has given me immense freedom, you know, to be in this body neutral relationship. So I'm really, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I love that. I love that answer. And um, I think uh, like body love doesn't have to be anyone's goal. That neutrality where you just find peace 
is perfectly fine and perfectly good enough. So I'm actually really yes. happy you shared that answer because no one has said that yet. So I think that's really inspiring okay. for a lot of women who are like, yeah, I agree, Kate. That's that's where I'm trying to get. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And body love or body positivity, when you're in like a violent relationship with your body or abusive relationship, like it can just feel like it's too far to get to, right? Like, you know, the, the too big a leap. And so allowing the brain and our nervous system to just get on board with like, I can just be in a neutral, nonviolent relationship with my body today. Yeah. That's an option. And I don't know if anyone ever really talks about that when you're growing up. So I think that's really inspiring. Thank you, Kate, for sharing all of this information. I think this was like so, so helpful. I know I learned a lot. How can whoever's listening find you? Um, how can they work with you? Sure. So you can find me on Instagram at Kate W. Stone. And then my website is katewilliamsstone.com. And if you want my free guide, my non-diet guide to perimenopause, you can go to katewilliamsstone.com slash guide. And I have a list there of all the symptoms to perimenopause along with um, hormone supporting habits, a wealth of information to share with you. Awesome. I also will have that all linked in the show notes so people can find it super easy. Thank you so much, Kate. This was wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Dear Runner Bod. If you enjoyed what you heard, remember to subscribe and make sure you share today's episode. Also, if you're looking to download a free three-step guide to love your runner's bod, then head to serenamarierd.com. Can't wait to chat with you next week.